0: Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Oh, man. Can I just say a word to you before we get started? I cannot tell you how good it is to hear you all sing. Uh, Now, listen, it's not to say you weren't singing in the other building. You were, but we were sitting in a bowl, and so most of your voices were traveling over me in the front row, and uh, today, man, I just hear you guys just singing, and it is incredible and it fills uh, my heart with joy it encourages me and uh, again I would ask that as we walk through the message today if if you want to continue that encouragement uh, continue to give a hearty amen if you hear something that you would affirm uh, that would encourage me as I seek to encourage you with the word but I'm gonna go and tell you I am feeling fairly encouraged right now just in worship and so uh, man we I might preach for the next two hours I'm just so excited and I've not had any coffee today, and that's the crazy part about the whole thing. So anyway, uh, it is good to be here, to be gathered together. I mean, I'm looking forward to our time together. Again, we are walking through First Peter together. Uh, again, this is a new day for a new church here at Southside, something that I'm really looking forward to. And man, I'm just, I'm praising God by his grace and his goodness and for just all that has taken place in this room. Now, again, what you're sitting in and seeing and experiencing really is phase one of a multiple-phase project. We look around and we recognize that there are other things that still need to be done in this building and in this room, and we will get to those, Um, and so just know that. So there will be other projects coming forward in the future. Hopefully, uh, by God's grace, none of them will impact our ability to meet in this space. So um, I'm looking forward to that and looking forward to what the Lord will continue to do. Now, we are... Again still in 1st Peter walking through 1st Peter together and I want to remind you of the visual that I gave you uh this past week which is that of the fact that as Christians we are currently on a pilgrimage together we are moving onward if you will with the elect exiles that we read about last week in 1st Peter chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 and we if you remember we read about how these exiles are believers who have been scattered uh throughout the Roman Empire particularly kind of in the northeast north east northeast and northeast region of the roman empire so as we uh, continue today we're going to see peter continue to offer comfort to the church he's going to continue to offer comfort to the believers in jesus christ as he reminds them of the living hope that we now have in christ jesus now i don't know about you but when i hear the phrase a living hope one of the first questions i ask myself is well what exactly is hope. When we talk about hope, what do we mean? Because the reality is hope can take on a variety of meanings depending on what you're talking about. Hope can take on a variety of definitions. Okay, just to give you an idea, uh, I'll throw out one to you. Um, I hope that my sports teams will do well this year. The rea- Thank you. Not many people care about that. There are multiple people in here who hope that all my teams lose every game. There are multiple people in this room who care nothing about sports, and so you could care less what could happen. Okay? So that... (laughs) We're done for the day. No? (laughs) I hear you. I won't name names of who that was, but uh, I hear you, and I see you, brother. Uh, Anyway. I'm glad he's sitting next to an elder. Will you correct this a little bit, sir? Anyway. (laughs) And he said, my elder told me no. How sad is that? Oh, man, we got to vet these people better, gentlemen. Anyway, <laughs> you, that hope is trivial. It's trivial. There's also hopes like this. We may say things like, I hope one day to visit Europe, or I hope one day to visit Hawaii, or I hope one day to visit Alaska. I don't know why you'd want to do that. It's really cold. Okay? I hope one day to, to travel again. You see, these, that type of hope is actually good, and it's one that really honestly could happen whether or not we hope for it or not. But in the grand scheme of things, that particular hope is not a big deal if you truly think about it. I mean, we're not hinging our lives on whether or not we get to travel, right? At least I hope not. You see, if we get to travel, then great. But if we don't, then great. What does it change? But there's another meaning of hope that I want to suggest to you today and throw out to you today, and it's this one. It's when we say phrases like, I hope my wife and my kids will always love me. Or maybe you're a wife in the room and you say, I hope my husband and my children will always love me. Well, as we can see, this type of hope is different. It's a hope that's not flippant. It's a hope that's not trivial, but rather it's a very personal hope. You almost get a, a sense of urgency when you say this to yourself, a sense of passion and a concern is, as you wake up with that thought. I imagine many of us as parents and grandparents have probably struggled with whether or not we're going to wake up and, and we hope that our wives or our spouses will love us. We hope that our, our children will love us today. You see, this particular hope is very strong and it's strong because it's, it's very personal and it's one that we always want to be true. Well, as you're gonna see in Peter's words today, Peter wants the believers to know the hope that they have in Christ Jesus as one that's not flippant, nor is it trivial, like a like a favorite sports team, or better yet, an overseas trip. But rather the hope that Peter is speaking of today is one that is strong and one that is personal. So this morning in our text today in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter's gonna give us yet another word of encouragement that should ultimately point the church back to a living hope that we all now share in as believers in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you if you haven't already to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin reading together in verse 3. And again, if you have found your place and you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Peter writing in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. He writes, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you today. Father, we pray that in these next few moments that we have together that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, we praise you for the opportunity that we've had to to worship you in song. We praise you for the opportunity we've had to worship you through your spoken word, through prayer. And God, we pray now that you would prepare our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears for your truth. God, may you be glorified. Father, we don't seek to make much of ourselves in this place. We seek to make much of you. And so may it be your name that is lifted up. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And we say, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us first. So now, God, be with us as we unpack your truth today. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could quickly to set the scene for you in case you missed this past week, we are talking, uh, Peter is writing to the local church. Uh, Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter has, uh, an apostle who has experienced great pain. He's an apostle who's experienced trials, an apostle who's experienced suffering. And so here he is writing to the church that has now been scattered and is now facing their own version and varieties of persecution. And so if you're reading this in its original language, what you're reading really is one long and complex sentence where each phrase connects to the next. And each phrase literally builds off of the previous phrase, almost creating a snowball effect, if you will. And so after opening with God's character and opening with God's attributes and the work of God in verses 1 and 2, Peter now turns his attention to the blessing and the praise that comes from knowing God. So what we're going to see this morning, again, is the snowball effect of the blessing of knowing who God is and how it is Jesus Christ who is now our living hope. So our goal for this morning is to know what we have in our living hope. And so Peter begins in verse 3 through verses 5 by telling us that our living hope comes with praise and with a promise. You see, Peter opens with the phrase, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" Now, this would have been a common phrase of praise and blessings, if you will, among the Jews. And so what Peter has now done, is he's turned this phrase into a Christian blessing. You see, Peter knew that the church was still blessed by God, even though they had been scattered by persecution. And so in saying, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter is not saying that we are a blessing to God, although there is in some small way some truth of that since we are created in the image of God, but rather what Peter is saying is that that we are the ones to declare that God is the blessed one because God is the one who has given us his blessing. You see, Peter is calling the church Peter is calling the body of believers to praise God to acknowledge who God is God is far superior compared to us being mankind we are flawed we are fallible we are frail compared to the all power all wisdom and all knowing God of the universe In fact, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7, we read these words. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Meaning this, that God, God who is far superior than anything we could ever ask or imagine. Don't believe me? Go back and study the book of Job. That God is the one who has blessed creation, which is us. Now, you may hear that and think to yourselves, why does God need to be praised? Well, the reality is this. He doesn't need to be praised. God doesn't need our nice words to feel better about himself. God does not need our nice words of encouragement to be motivated to continue to do good. You see, God is good whether you want to believe it or not. God is God, whether you want to believe it or not. Our words doesn't change who God is. That's why we can say the phrase, and it's on the back wall, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. Because it's God who deserves the praise. It's God who deserves the glory. And he will be praised and he will be glorified whether we choose to praise him and glory him or not. You see, what Peter is teaching us in this first phrase is that it's actually good for us to praise God. It's good for us to declare his excellence so that we are reminded of who God is and we are now reminded of what it is that God has done. Notice that Peter is now reminding the church that we praise God not because God needs it but because it reminds us that God is God and we are not. Notice the very next phrase Peter gives us. He calls Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, honestly, I think this personally amounts to really the full name of Jesus. A lot of people have asked, well, man, what's Jesus' middle name? I would argue probably Jesus. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, why do we know that? Because this name actually appears 35 times throughout the New Testament alone. And so notice what Peter is reminding the church of when he speaks of Jesus. He's saying to the church, listen, we praise God for who God is, but we praise God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as a church, we're being reminded that Jesus is still the promised Messiah. That's why Peter calls him the Christ. He reminds us that Jesus is still the Savior. This is why he uses the name Jesus, and he reminds the church, and Jesus will rule all things, which is why he calls him Lord. You see, again, In speaking of God and praising God and calling out to the name of Jesus, Peter is reminding the church who you belong to. He's reminding the church, listen, you have a blessing. And that blessing is found in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying to the church, listen, do not forget who is in charge. And it's not you. And it's certainly not me. Coming back to the text in verses 3 and 4, Peter then begins to speak of the certainty of God's salvation through really what can best be described as covenant language. You see, we see words and phrases like mercy and the phrase has caused us to be born again. Now, one of the only other times that we see this phrase born again is when we read the encounter that Nicodemus has with Jesus back in the Gospel of John chapter 3. So like Nicodemus was told, we must be born again in order to see and fully experience the kingdom of God. So Peter tells the church that we all need the Spirit of God to breathe life into our dead souls. Meaning that just like Nicodemus was told, we need to be born again. Notice Peter is telling us, look, we need to remember what life was like before Jesus Christ. We were dead dead in our sins. We were dead to our sins and we needed Jesus Christ to save our souls. Now, I don't know of of an image to give you to go with that. It's almost like watching a movie, and all of a sudden, like that character that you love, not necessarily the main character, because let's be honest, some of the movies we watch today, the main character's not very good. It's just all the other characters around it that make it good. Well, all of a sudden, that character just keels over for whatever reason, okay? I don't know why they died in your favorite movie. I don't know what your favorite movie is. All of a sudden, they keel over, but let's say it's modern, and all of a sudden, they roll out that that cart, and they rub them things together and put some weird jelly on it, and then bam, they hit them back to life. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. We were dead. And he spoke life back into our souls. You see, we need the Spirit of God to speak life into the dead souls. But here's the reality. As a church, we gather for the purpose of edification. We gather for the purpose of encouragement. We gather for the purpose of of being reminded that we are justified by the Justifier. We gather because we are called. We gather because of what Christ has done in our life and how it is Christ who lifts up his people. And so when we gather, we gather because we realize even as failed, flawed individuals who still fight battles with sin, we still need the spirit to speak life back into us. But then at the same time, let us also remember as Christians that we are called to speak a life-giving message to a world of dead souls. We are called to, to speak life and to do so with urgency so that we too can see people rescued from death, which is brought on by their sin. Now coming back to the text, Peter speaks more about the covenant promises and he shows us that God in his mercy has actually given us three promises according to the text that we have today. In verse three, we've already talked a little bit about this one. We see that we have a living hope. That's promise number one that we have. The second promise that we have is found in verse four. Peter's gonna tell us that we now have an inheritance. And then when you get to verse five, we're gonna see our third promise that we have, which is just salvation in and of itself. So what Peter is doing is he's showing us that our hope does not rest on the impact of teachings. Our hope does not rest on, on the the colorfulness and the beauty of buildings. It doesn't rest in the newness of buildings. Our hope doesn't rest in the music that we hear and the music that we sing. And thankfully, by God's grace, our hope does not rest in the smooth persona of the teacher. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. But rather, our hope is found in the Redeemer who rose from the dead and has now by his mercy, gifted promises that can never be taken from us. And so Peter has now shown us that our living hope is found in the power of the resurrection. Meaning, since Jesus Christ rose from the dead and defeated death, then as his people, we too will not know the sting of death. For as his people... We have been made alive as his people. We have been made new as his people. We have been made whole in the power and the work of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, let's talk further about this second promise that we see in the inheritance in verse 4 we see it says an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you now after telling us that because of the resurrection death is not the last word Peter now tells the church that we have a gift based upon our relationship with Jesus Christ now again I want to remind us this morning that we didn't earn this gift This gift is not based on our merit, nor is it a reward or an award of some sort. This gift is not a bonus for all of our hard work. Again, we were dead to sin when we were given this gift. And so Peter tells us, he says, look, you've been given the gift of grace You've been given the gift of new life and this gift is unspoiled and nothing can ruin this gift. Nothing can tarnish this gift, not even ourselves, because God protects this gift that is kept in heaven for you. I love what Francis Wright Baer says about this point. He says, our inheritance in Christ is untouched by death. Unstained by evil, unimpaired by time. It is compounded of immortality, purity, and beauty. Christian, are you hearing these words today? Weak and wounded sinner, are you hearing these words today? Do you have your hope and your eyes fixed upon the mercy that God has shown us through the living hope that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord? Do we see the inheritance that we now have in him, Christian? Be encouraged by the hope that we now have in God. Do you see what Peter's doing here? I mean, Peter is just offering. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. It's a message of hope upon hope upon hope. I mean, honestly, if we could really describe this any way, it's almost like playing my video game people. It's almost like playing Mike Tyson's Punch-Out before they messed it up and called it Punch-Out by Mr. Dream. You know what I'm talking about? Who cares about Mr. Dream? It was all about Mike Tyson, okay? Everybody wanted to beat Mike Tyson. Everybody's got the code. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, if you ever need the code, I got it saved on my phone, all right? For those of you who still have the Nintendo, I still got it, I still play it. But the one thing I remember is this. When you fight Mike Tyson, that dude hits you three times, you're out. You're done. Three punches and you're done. And it should matter because if you've never seen that video game, your your guy's character is called Little Mac, okay? And Mario is in the ring as your referee, all right? You should win just on that fact alone. But you're Little Mac, you're all of two foot four. Mike Tyson is eight foot 30. I mean, he's huge. His punches are faster than you can hit the buttons and three punches and you're down, you're done. Literally, this is what Peter is describing to us. He was like, look, if Peter were here today, he'd probably say this to us. Hey, listen, if God had a punch out game that was blessing after blessing after blessing, we would get hit every time in the face because of what God has promised to his people. It would knock us out to begin to know and understand the blessings that we have from God. And as if that wasn't enough, man, (laughs) Peter continues. I mean, I'm gonna go and tell you, I'm tapping out at this point in two verses, but Peter's not done. Verse five, he says, who by God's power are being guarded. These promises, they're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Hear what Peter's saying this morning. Peter is saying nothing, and I mean nothing, can keep this inheritance from you. And you cannot be kept from the inheritance. I mean, talk about perseverance of the saints. How do we know this? How do we know it? We know it because God keeps the inheritance for us and he keeps us for the inheritance. That's literally what Peter is saying. Now let me unpack what I'm talking about here. Peter is saying to us, listen, God keeps the treasure for us and yet it is God who guards us so that we can properly enjoy the treasure that he has for us i mean are you really starting to pick up what peter's putting down here at this moment peter is literally saying that god not only prepares the celebration but that it's god who brings us to it did you hear it god prepares the celebration and it's god who brings us to it i mean let's go you know, honestly, Paul knew this as well. In Philippians chapter one, verse six, in writing to the church of Philippi, he said, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter and Paul didn't always agree on everything, but one thing they could agree upon was this. They have just told us that God has something good going on. And the reality is this, in the midst of the good that God prepares for his people that we will experience at the end of times when we are in the kingdom of God, even though all that is good, they both tell us that even in that moment, God is still not done with us yet. It's why he guards us and why he protects us. In fact, I want to tell you something. If you're here and you're hurting today, can I just say to you, God's not done with you. You're here and you're struggling today. You had a hard time walking in today because of what life has thrown at you this week. Can I just encourage you? God's not done with you. You're still here. He's not done. You're worried about tomorrow? Trust in the one who already holds tomorrow. And that same one who holds it is not done with you. Can I just say to you, brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the room, that if you've got brothers and sisters around you who are struggling, maybe they're sitting right beside you right now, would you just take some time this week to encourage those people and say, hey, listen, you're still here because God is not done with you. The same God who guards us, the same God who protects us, the same God who, who has stored for us treasures in heaven, that God is not done with us. Coming back to the text in the rest of verse five. It says, and ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, notice what Peter is saying, man. He's saying, listen, in the here and now, we have the spirit that's at work in us. And there may be trials that may come our way. There may be celebrations. They may come our way. However, Peter says today, we can celebrate who we are in Christ because of what we have in Christ, who is our living hope and our inheritance. And as good as that promise is, Notice what Peter says. He says, there's more to come. There's more to come. Christian, it's going to get better. But now notice what we have in verses six and seven. Thank you, brother. Verse six and seven, we learn more about our living hope. Peter tells us that our living hope walks us through tests and trials. So not only does our living hope uh Well, I forgot my first point. Not only does our living hope come with praise and a promise, but now our living hope walks us through tests and trials. Now, after establishing a living hope that we now have in Christ, Peter now turns his attention back to the church. And in verse 6, he says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, notice the perspective that Peter gives us on trials. Peter tells us, look, compared to eternity, Our current suffering is brief. And now notice this, Peter in this moment is not trying to downplay our pain. Peter's not trying to to limit the pain and the heartache and, and the suffering that may come, but he does want us to see how pain will only seem to last forever when we are immersed in that pain, and that pain is what drives us. And so Peter tells the church to keep their focus on Christ. Because when we lose sight of our focus and our focus becomes the pain, our focus becomes the hardship, our focus becomes the trial, we will immerse ourselves in it and we will miss what Jesus is doing. Now again, Peter and Paul would both agree to this point. Christians will suffer. Christians will suffer because suffering is a logical result of conversion. It is inevitable that our Christian worldview and morality will clash with a pagan world and society. Now, sure, in Western civilization, our Christian ethics have some influence over our society. Thus, we may not see suffering from it. However, in 90% of the places in the world, this is not the case. It's not the case because the minority Christian view clashes with the world and the culture around it. But I want you to see what Peter offers us in verses 6 and 7. You see, he gives us five points to remember about our trials. First, he says in verse 6, when compared to eternity, our trials only last for a little while. Secondly, he tells us again in verse 6 that we will experience various trials or various kinds of trials. The third point he tells us in verse 6 is that our trials come with a kind of necessity. In fact, he says, if necessary, you have been grieved. Which leads him to point number 4 about the trials in verse 7, where he says, suffering will prove that our faith is real. He says this when he says, so that the test of genuineness of your faith, which leads to his fifth point on trials, which again is found in verse 7, that suffering will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now if you didn't get those cuz I just ran through them really fast, let me simplify it for you in two points. Here's Peter points in two points right here. Peter teaches us that our trials and our sufferings have a limit and they have a purpose. Point number 1. Our trials and our sufferings have a limit and they have a purpose. They will not last forever. And God will be glorified through them. Point number two that Peter teaches us is even though we walk through valleys, even though we walk through pain, even though we walk through sufferings, even though we walk through trials, we can still rejoice. So, the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is do we see our trials and our sufferings in the grand perspective of our great God? Do we maintain an eternal perspective on what it is that we are going through? Now, to further his point, Peter now gives us an illustration in the midst of the text of a faith that, according to his words, are more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Now, notice Peter uses this imagery because the precious commodity of gold is something that all people could understand who were reading this letter. Gold, like today, is something that all people valued. And so Peter teaches that faith, like gold, is tested and proved in fire. So just as gold is tested and bent and and made pure in fire, so too are we tested and bent and made pure when hardships come our way. But then notice what Peter teaches as well through this imagery. He teaches us that though gold is precious, faith is of greater value. Thus we should cling to faith because our faith is of greater value. And unlike gold, our faith will never perish in the fire. Notice that Peter then closes out this section by speaking of the praise and the glory and the honor that is due at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says a day is coming where we will stand before the throne and praise his name. And so we have to ask ourselves today, how are we preparing here in this place for that day? How are we living in light of eternity? How are we living one knowing one day we are going to stand before the throne of God and we are going to praise our great God? This leads to what I believe is Peter's third and final point about our living hope. We see in verses eight and nine, when Peter teaches us that our living hope gives us sight and celebration. You see, if you look at verses eight and nine, Peter now encourages the believers to hold out for the living hope that uh, that they've heard about that is coming. They've not seen it, they've not physically seen it, but they know it is coming. Look at verse eight. Peter writes, though you have not seen him, You love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You know, if you think about it in this moment, Peter's literally referencing back to Thomas in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. You see, Thomas was not with the other apostles when they first saw Jesus, and yet Thomas was the one who wanted to see. Thomas was the one who wanted to touch Jesus. And even, and I got to be honest for a minute, I personally think that Thomas has really been given a bad rap when he's been called Doubting Thomas. You see, I believe that Thomas believed that Jesus was the Messiah. I believe that Thomas believed that Jesus was the Christ. I believe that Thomas believed that Jesus would rise from the dead. But Thomas wanted to see the story that he has heard so much about that was often described as simply unbelievable. You see, like Thomas, we believe. But let's be honest, how much easier would it be if we could simply see just think about how different, I mean, have you ever had that thought before where you said, Lord, I don't know what you're doing with this, but if I could just see you, if I could just see you, that would give me all the encouragement I would need for the rest of my life. Lord, if I could just, if I could just touch the scars... Lord, I don't know what you're doing in this place. I don't know what you're doing in our fellowship. I don't know what you're doing in my life around me. But if I could see you, I would know that it would be worth it. I mean, think about this. It's almost like what John the Baptist sent his messengers out to Jesus to say. He says, listen, I'm in prison. Go to him and ask him, are you the one that we've been waiting on? He just wanted to see. You see, we want to see as well. But like the elect exiles, we may not have seen directly, but we wait with anticipation to see what it is that we have always known to be true. And one day that will happen when we see our risen Savior face to face, whether he calls us home or he comes to get us. And so Peter says, because of Jesus Christ, he says in the text that we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Notice these words, inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter's telling us that, look, our joy in Christ comes from God. It doesn't come from from man. Therefore, when people ask us, hey, how do you explain the joy that you have? And when I joy, I'm not talking about being happy for Jesus. That's nonsense. Not every day is a happy day. But even in the non-happy days, we still have joy because of who Christ is. And when people ask us, hey, tell us about this joy that you have. Don't feel bad, Christian, if all of a sudden you look at them and say, I don't even know how to begin to explain this to you. Like, I can try, but it's not going to be good. Christian, I want to tell you, you'd be right if you've ever felt that way. You see, the joy that we have in knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord, cannot be defined by perfect human expression. Sure, we can use our human words to do our best to try to explain it, but it's not ever going to compare to the joy that we have of knowing Jesus Christ. Let me unpack what I'm talking about for you, okay? All right, for several, many of you in the room, man, you probably remember what your wedding day was like. I remember my wedding day. I can tell you everything about that day. I can tell you about the joy that I experienced. I can tell you about how I was sitting uh, at the front uh, of of the, the church and we did, a, we did a first look, uh, just my wife and I, uh, because we wanted to get all the pictures out of the way and get that stuff done so we can get on the re- the, the uh, reception and then get on the road. You know what I mean? Just who we were. And I can tell you exactly what happened in that room. I can tell you about how they opened the doors. I saw my wife, and she looked amazing. She was beautiful, okay? I could tell you everything about her. I could tell you that there were only two other people in the room, and it was two camera folks, and they were sticking their camera in my face, and I didn't really care for it, okay? Because I was you, many of you know me. I'm an emotional being, okay? And so so I'm going to tell you, I, I didn't hold my composure in that moment. I celebrated, I clapped, I cried, the snot bubbles, the whole bit. I mean, it was ugly, okay? Thankfully, none of those pictures made it into our photo album. I'd have been embarrassed, all right? But I, I remember that day. I remember my wife coming down. I remember I couldn't even put together a complete sentence other than to say, you look great. Like, no duh. You know what I mean? Like, who, I thought about that afterwards, and I was like, who's ever seen their wife for the first time in her wedding dress and said, I mean, you look okay. You didn't get married that day, I promise, okay? You got slapped if that was you. If that was you, I'm available for counseling, okay? I remember that day. I remember what that was like. I remember the conversation. I remember I couldn't even form words. I remember thinking to myself, I get to spend the rest of my life with this person. Like, this person's gonna have to put up with me the rest of their life. Does she know? And then I was looking for the marriage contract. Like, how do we get this done? I remember the joy of that day. You probably do too. I remember the joy of children. Not everybody gets to share in that joy. And I don't know why that is. I just trust a sovereign God. But I remember the joy of holding my children in my arms for the first time. I remember the hospital. I remember all the bells and whistles. I remember the words of the doctors. I remember when when my oldest was born, I couldn't even count the 10. They were like, count the 10. I'm like, I couldn't do it. I got to three and the nurse looked at me like I'd failed simple math. Okay, I remember, I remember the joy of, of watching my second child born. I remember the joy of, of holding my third child and them saying, this is your daughter. I remember the day my fourth, my youngest was born and, and how I got 40 missed phone calls from my wife saying she was on her way to the hospital and my, worker, my coworkers were freaking out, okay? It's the fastest I've ever gone in a box truck at the time, all right? I remember everything about that day. I remember the sights, the sounds, everything. And I remember the joy. I remember what it's like to unwrap your child in their blanket and count their fingers and toes. I remember what it's like when you put your your, your finger in theirs and, and their whole hand just grabs your finger. I remember that. And I remember the joy of what that was like. But I want to tell you, even though I remember the joy of those moments, when it comes to the joy that I have in Jesus Christ, where do I begin? Where do we even start? I mean, it's really honestly hard to put in the man-made words. I mean, I can talk to you about the day I came to faith in Christ. I can talk to you about the process of growing in Christ. I can talk to you about the many times I have failed, and yet Christ, the Redeemer, still loves me and cares for me. Where do I start? It's just the joy that's inexpressible. I mean, one of the best ways I could describe it to you is like, if you're a Lord of the Rings uh, fan here, and I remember there's a scene in the movies or even in the books, really it's the movies that I'm thinking of right now, but they're preparing for battle in Helm's Deep. And there's this scene where Gimli, who's the little dwarf, says, what's happening out there? Because he can't see over the castle wall. And Legolas, who's standing next to him, says this. He says, shall I describe it to you or would you like me to find you a box? Now, I thought to myself, that's actually pretty funny. Thankfully, they both laughed in that moment. And you see the true friendship that this fellowship had. But I think the same thing is true of our faith. You see, we may not be able to describe our faith very well. We may not be able to describe the joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ very well. But here's the reality. We can show them. We can say to them, hey, I don't know how to describe this to you, but just come and see. Come and see. Come come with me. Come with me to church and and let me just show you. Let me just let you see what, what we do as we gather to worship God. I don't know how to describe this to you, but, but come to our house, man. Our GC is meeting. We got, a, we got a gospel community full of Christians, and we just gather. We're not perfect, but we just gather because of the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Come and see. It's the same thing that Jesus said to Thomas. He says to Thomas, You want to touch the scars? Come and see. Here I am. You see, Peter teaches us that we have joy. We have joy because we have an inheritance. We have joy and we have an inheritance because we have the promise. We have a joy with an inheritance that comes with a promise because of the living hope that we have found in Jesus Christ our Lord. How can we even begin to possibly describe what it is that we now have in Christ? Coming back to the text, verse 9, Peter closes by saying, in obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter, in this simple phrase, tells the church that the goal of redemption is a new creation. A new creation meant to be enjoyed forever with a new spirit and a new body like what we see and experience at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Peter closes again with a reminder that death is not the end of our story. Rather, new life in Christ marks the beginning, and now death is relegated to just another stop along the journey for our living hope, which is found in Jesus Christ. So, man, I want to ask you this morning, where is your hope? Where does your hope lie? Do you now see that there is more to this life, that there is more to our trials, that there is more to our sufferings, that there is more to our pain? you see that there's more to come when we reach eternity. Peter would say this to us. He would say, listen, we have a hope. We have an inheritance. We have salvation. Yeah, it's hard, but it gets better. There's more to come. So Christian, persevere. You see, Peter reminds us that Jesus Christ is our living hope. And so in Christ, we have everlasting life and no force from within or from without can ever destroy the hope that we have in Christ. And so in telling us about our living hope, Peter reveals that hope comes with a praise and with a promise. He teaches us that hope walks us through tests and through trials. He says to us that hope gives us sight as well as reason to celebrate. That's the hope that has been promised to us. It's the hope that we now hold on to. I love John Calvin's words in writing about uh, 1 Peter. He says this, Peter's main objective of this particular epistle is to raise us above the world in order that we may be prepared and encouraged to sustain the spiritual contests of our warfare. In other words, Calvin says to us, listen, we're not better than other people. But we are in the midst of a fight. We fight against that which seeks to rob us of the joy that we have in the inheritance that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. So never lose sight of the encouragement that we have in Christ. That's why we can sing, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. You see, as Christians, as the elect exiles, let's keep our attention on Jesus Christ, for it is Christ who has conquered death. It is Christ who protects us and nothing can rob us of the joy of knowing that we will one day share in his glory when he returns. May we be like John, who at the end of Revelation, upon hearing Jesus say, and I will come again, he says, amen. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Christian, wherever you are, Whatever it is you're going through, hear the words of Peter and hold on to Christ, who is our living hope. Let's pray together.